The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added to that uh, day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing uh, the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, And having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Pray with me. Lord, I just thank you so much for this fellowship that we have. God, I just uh, pray that you would bless Grace City, Lord. That we can can be there in in our community in this way. Lord, that we can see you move uh, in in today's world, in in this crooked generation, Lord. God, I just thank you that uh, we have each other for this, Lord. I just thank you for the togetherness we have, and um, I just pray that you just bless the message today in our worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, man. All right. Well, good morning. We are starting a new series today called Surviving Loneliness, and uh, before I jump into that, I uh, just wanted to share a little bit about that membership process. And so um, on the 9th, just like Mary said, we're going to have that questionnaire. So fill that out online. It's all digital. And then um, next Sunday, I'm going to do a little class. And so it's open. Even if you're not wanting to go through the membership process, but just wanting to know a little bit more, I'm going to be going through uh, a teaching on testimony, how to share your testimony, uh, mission, and what does it look like to live a life on mission, and then spiritual gifts, and so what does that look like in your life? Uh, So that's open next week, 9-15, kitchen classroom. Now we're in our series, new series, Surviving Loneliness. Okay, so here's the goal for our series. Over this series, uh, we'll be addressing our need for deep relationships and, and how they work according to God's word. And there is a reality in our world of loneliness. And so we want to touch on that as we work through this. Um, So our text today is Acts 2, verses 40 through 47. And the message is entitled Spiritual Friendships. Spiritual Friendships. Now, in November of last year, Chamath Palihapitiya, former Facebook vice president of user growth, uh, told an audience at Stanford Graduate School of Business this. He says, I think we have created tools that are ripping apart the social fabric of how society works. He continued, the short-term dopamine-driven feedback loops we've created are destroying how society works, referring to online interactions driven by hearts, likes, thumbs up. No civil discourse, no cooperation, misinformation, mistruth. He says this is a global problem. Now with the rise of, and growth of social media in our country and, and really our ability to connect with one another in an instant, loneliness has continued to rise and it's become a huge epidemic. 
even within our city. Now, the data is showing that our connectedness through social media, texting, emails, are in many cases, when we talk about real community, an illusion. And what it's called is the new loneliness. Now, I want to give a disclaimer. I, I don't believe that social media is inherently bad. I think in many ways it's, it's, it's really good. But what I do believe is that we have tried to reconstruct the way in which we do relationships. And what we're finding is that if we lean into that too much, it hurts us. You see, the way in which we engage relationships matters. And God has set into motion a way in which relationships we're meant to be engaged. I believe what social media exposes more than anything is our legitimate need for friendships. I mean, what's your response to being unfriended? It's not good, is it? Like, why? What did I do? But unfriending, unliking, all these types of things are not the way in which we were meant to engage one another. See, God has set into motion a way in which relationships were meant to be engaged. And so what we find is that long before any researcher, long before any report, God addressed our loneliness. And here was his analysis. We find it in Genesis 2.18, all the way back at the very beginning of the Bible. Now, at that time, Eden was perfect. Adam was in perfect relationship with God. Yet God looked at Adam and said this. He says, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Here's the thing. God understands our loneliness. You say, well, how? Because he made us in his image. And what we find is that God is not just God singular. Uh, he is God singular, Father, Son, Holy Spirit in eternal unity and love from eternity's past. That's who God is. He is in loving relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. God is triune. And so if God makes us in his image, then he understands what a relationship really looks like. Timothy Keller says this. He says, Adam was not lonely because he was imperfect. Adam was lonely because he was perfect. Adam was lonely because he was like God. And therefore, since he was like God, he had to love someone or someone to love, someone to work with, someone to talk to, someone to share with. All of our other problems, our anger, our anxiety, our fear, our cowardice arise out of sin and our imperfections. Loneliness is the one problem you have because you've been made in the image of God. God knows this. And so today in this series, I'm not gonna give you a simple quick fix remedy to your loneliness because what we find in the scriptures is that it's much more complex than that. But really in this series, I wanna help lean into that and, and hopefully God will provide some answers for us in our loneliness. And so today, my hope is to give you a starting place from scripture. 
And where we see it beginning is, as we go through this, this series, is it's in God's church. God's church. Now, in the book of Acts, we see in the, the, the beginning of the church. And it's not defined by a worship service with cool lights and a kid's ministry. What we find are deeply committed followers of Jesus coming together who are in healthy, thriving relationship together. And there is a beautiful diversity, sensitivity, sacrifice, and unity amongst them. And so how did this happen? Well, we go back a little bit and we find that Jesus had just risen from the dead. He was crucified, rose from the dead. And what he did next was he came back and gathered his believers together and instructed them to wait on the Holy Spirit. He said, when the Spirit comes, he tells them that you'll know what to do. God will guide you. And so the Holy Spirit comes during this time of prayer in Acts 2 and sends Peter out to preach the gospel to thousands of people. And so people were coming in from all over the map and Peter preaches the gospel to men, women. And what happens next is that God saves over 3,000 people. The church starts because of God. And I want you to know today that what we're talking about, spiritual friendship, it starts with God. Right? Like in a lot of ways, we try to redefine it. We say, I'm going to make this happen. But what we see is that God is the starting place to this type of friendship and relationship. And so again, our, our text today is Acts 2, 40 through 47. And here's the question. What fosters deep spiritual friendships? And we find three essentials in Acts chapter two. And so we're gonna break these down today, but here's the first one. It's common ground, common ground. Number two, meaningful connection. And number three, self-sacrifice. Common ground, meaningful connection, self-sacrifice. So let's break this first one down. We're gonna find it in verses 40 through 42. If you're looking at your Bibles, let's read together. And here's the common ground part. It says, and with many words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and were added that day about 3000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching. Now, there are two parts to this common ground that we're talking about here. The first one is there is a common experience. Look at verse 41. It says, so they who received his word, they received his word, were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, in this, we see the power of shared experience. So when it talks about that they received, they received a particular message. This message is the gospel. It is a message of God's grace. It is a message that God came to save sinful people, which if you look back, Peter is very clear. And those sinful people put Jesus on the cross and he said it was all of us. And so as they were hearing it, it says that the, the people who were hearing this message were cut to the heart. And so they said, what what should our response be? And so that day they received this message and they said, it's true. I am a sinner in deep need of God's grace in my life. 
I need this Jesus that we crucified. I need him to cover my sin. Next, it says that they were baptized. There's a, a common response to God's work, right? So God had done a miracle by sending Jesus and, and saying that I've come in love and grace to save you. And so the common response was, we want to do what, what you're wanting us to do. And so part of that was baptism. Now, this word baptism is this word uh, transliterated. It's baptizo, which means immersion. And so there were pools all around there, and they said, okay, your response is to be immersed. And what this is, is a picture of what saves us. It, that act does not save us. It is a picture of what saves us. It's Jesus that saves us. And so what baptism is, is you, as you go down under the water, that's your old life. And then when you come back up, it is a new creation in Christ. It's, it's this symbolism of, of that God has saved me from my sin. I receive this message, and so it, it is my act of obedience to Christ. And it says that about 3,000 souls were added. Out of all the words, why does he say souls? Because your soul and my soul, it's, it's the deepest part of us. It's not something that is can't see it but God can it's the deepest level of who we are it's deep down in our identity and saying it's all the way down to my soul God did a miracle in people's lives Daryl Bach commentator on Acts says this he says Peter's concise reply concerning how to respond to the gospel repent Turn away from my old life and show this response by participating in a rite that symbolizes forgiveness and cleansing into life through Jesus Christ. You know, last week we had six baptisms. It's amazing. We got some pictures of some of the, the lives that were changed. As Alexia and her parents, her parents came all the way from LA down and they wanted to be a part of her baptism, but also got baptized. They said, okay, this is our starting place. We don't know much, but we wanna, we wanna follow Christ. And so it was an amazing moment seeing this family together, celebrating being baptized into Christ. Here we see, yes. This is Callie and Callie and Wheeler. Two Callies were baptized last week. Wheeler's their friend, and they, we were all able to celebrate together as they were baptized into Jesus. This is Raul. Last week, Raul stepped into that water and said, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. And what happened last week is a picture of what the church is about. It's people coming together, receiving this similar message, this common message, and having a similar response and saying, it's not my life anymore, it is God's. And so what better way to do that than to share it with the world? So they had a sh shared experience, a common experience that brought them together. And it wasn't something that any person could do. It was only what God could have done. The next part of this is that they, they had these common beliefs. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, again, about this, Bach points out, he says, the expression devoting themselves has the idea of persistence or persevering in something. Uh, 
The construction speaks of an ongoing devotion that they have. So they continually come back to the apostles' teaching. What's the apostle teaching? Jesus lived with his disciples for three years, teaching them what they needed to know. And in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Jesus tasked them with, okay, don't hold on to what I taught you and don't keep it to yourself, but I want you now to share it with others, to teach others. The apostles' teaching is grounded in what we read today as the scriptures. And what it is, it's about God's view, not their view. See, it wasn't about them. See, here's the thing. Times change, people change. God's word never changes. It's constant and it's true. And Jesus is the same way. Hebrews 13, eight says it this way. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And so as Jesus walked with his disciples, he taught them what we read today. See, it's awesome to do that in community. I don't know if you have the Bible app, but it's super helpful. And over the past few months, uh, one of the things that we've been doing is there's like a little Bible plan that you can start on there. There's tons of Bible plans, but then you can invite your friends to uh, read that plan with you. And here's the thing. I wake up at like five in the morning and the first thing I do is I put my, I have my phone next to me and I take my phone and I read that Bible plan, whatever it is. And so I've invited some friends into it and we read together, um, but it notifies your friends like what your comments are. And so I'm sorry to you guys if uh, I'm notifying you at 5.30 in the morning, but my hope is that it's the first thing you do in the morning. And here's what happens. As we're all commenting together on the same scripture, we're seeing different angles of something that God is teaching us in our lives. And so what's happening here is there are people that are devoting themselves to God's word and God is teaching them through sharpening one another. There's a community being built here and it's being built on a common ground and shared experience. And listening to, to God's word and saying, okay, God, teach us, give direction. We want to know what you think, not what we think. See, what happens a lot of the times in communities, it's all about like, okay, what's your opinion? What's your opinion? What's your opinion? But with Christianity, with Christian community, what happens is we don't come and say, what's your opinion? What's your thoughts? It's, no, let's, what's God's thoughts? What does he say? And let's all come around that together. There's a common ground that happens in the early church. But secondly, here's what happens next. Meaningful connection. Look at verses 42 through 44. It says, and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. We're talking about meaningful connection that's happening here. It says in verse uh, 42 that uh, they were first devoted to the apostles' teaching, but now it says to the fellowship. What is fellowship? Sounds like a really churchy word, doesn't it? Like fellowshipping. 
You don't use that in common language. But this word here is the word koinonia. It's used 19 times in the New Testament. And it can also be translated as like intimacy with one another. It's when the walls start breaking down between people. It's when there's like this commonality and you say, okay, this is a willingness now to let my guard down and be vulnerable with one another. See, here's the thing about the gospel. When you and I have an experience with God, when God looks at us and says, okay, I love you, not based on anything you've done, not your performance, not anything about your past, but I love you right where you're at because of what Jesus has done for you. Then we don't have to walk around any longer trying to prove that we're perfect. Trying to prove like we've got it all together. Trying to prove that we're living the life, right? I mean, isn't that what many times social media turns into? It's just another guard to to say, look at what I'm doing and look at why my life is valuable. I'm gonna put this out there. And we know how to take the pictures, right, don't we? It's like you can put it out there. But when God breaks through, we don't have to do that any longer. We don't have to have the perfect Instagram account. The koinonia, the fellowship, is where the guard comes down and you're able to be real and honest because you know that because of Jesus, we're accepted. And it becomes a community that is defined by that. And so how does this happen? Well, this deep intimacy happens in two ways. It says to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Breaking bread. This word only appears in the New Testament twice. And in both times, it's talking about a meal. Friendships are being built around a table. Okay, there's something to this here. Here's the thing. Everyone eats. Everyone eats. And, And what happens is, that this community of people, they weren't eating alone. Do you know how Jesus built his friendships? Many times it was around a meal. And now we see the followers of Jesus building relationship with one another, just like their savior. They're coming together around a table. And we love this idea. Recently I saw on ESPN, they started this thing where these people are just sitting around talking around a table. They're just communicating around a table. And so that, that, there's something to that where we say, oh, wow, that's, that's really important. There's something that happens in someone's life when that matters. Next, it says the, the prayers. Now, this is a community that was not seeking their own direction. They were seeking God's direction. They, they were praying with and for one another. The, the prayers plural, could uh, refer to the fact that they were known for praying all types of prayers at all times of the day. They prayed about everything. You know, one of my greatest joys as a pastor is hearing someone pray for the first time. And that's happened in, in our community group. 
our city group, when we, when we meet together, uh, the, this has happened. And usually here's how it starts. It starts with, well, I really don't know how to do this. I don't know where to start. You say, it's okay. We didn't either. But that's the starting place. It's, I don't know how to. It's okay, nobody's judging here. We're all just coming to God and, and talking to him. And this beautiful thing happens where people are communicating with God. And, and, and what this community looks like is they're all coming to God, just pleading to God together. And their prayer requests are reflecting that they all need God. See, here's what the fellowship ultimately looks like. It's this like deep commitment to one another. Many times we, we don't want to commit ourselves to the work of building committed spiritual friendships. And, and yeah, I said work. It takes time, it takes energy, it takes blocking off the calendar, it takes meetups, it takes works, work. But these people were willing to have that time blocked off for meaningful, deep conversations centered on Jesus. I mean, it happens out here during family time. It happens after when people go out to lunch. I hear it happening all the time. And I love that because that is a reflection of what relationship was meant to be. The last point is self-sacrifice. Now we find it in verses 45 through 47. It says this. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. As we read this, we might ask, well, how does this happen? How does this type of community who loves one another, who shares, who, who, who sacrifices for one another, how does that happen? God. You see, why did Jesus say, wait for the Holy Spirit? Because they couldn't do it on their own. God is at the center of this. This is not a community built on self. It's a community built on Christ. See, and ultimately, what has Christ done? He sacrificed himself for the community. He sacrificed himself for the people. See, he sacrificed himself for all of us. No longer in this community are people focusing on themselves. They are focusing on God and one another. And look at the gospel surge that happens it says people on the outside of this community started to look in and say, wow, what's happening with them? They're different. They listen and they, they are sensitive to one another's needs. That's not like the normal world and how it works out. I remember one time, uh, there's a young man I became friends with uh, and his name was Mike, um, and he was kind of new to Christianity. He'd never grown up in the church or anything like that. And so I remember meeting up with him one day at Subway. And uh, I said, all right, uh, I got your meal, man. 
And so I just got over there. I paid for his meal. And he says, no, you can't do that. I said, why? He said, people from where I'm from, we don't do that for one another. I said, well, as a Christian, it's cool. I got you. I want to pay for it. I want to pay for it. And you know why he said that people don't do that? From where I'm from, he said, because people will look at me and say, I owe them. I owe them. And they'll hold it over my head and they they make me feel guilty because they bought me something. And I don't ever want to feel like that. But do you know what the gospel is? Is that you share what you have, not because of guilt or obligation. You do it because of grace. Because you've experienced grace and now you get to share the grace of God with someone else. And you see, that's what I was able to share with my friend Mike that day. Was that it was God, not me. See, they know that all they have receive their food with glad and generous hearts. What this is, is they weren't saying, look at what we earned, look at what we did. Look at why we deserve this meal today because we worked really hard for it. They, they looked at everything they had as from God, praising God and having favor with all the people. See, God has created us to lay ourselves down and serve. How is that possible? God must work a miracle in our hearts and transform us into self-sacrificing people. You don't want to know what helps in relationships? Sacrificing for another. I've had to learn this the hard way through being a parent, through being a husband, because most of the time, my natural bent is to be selfish, not to be sacrificial. But God has made relationships in a way where it was meant to be sacrificial. Mutual sacrificial love for one another. And what this is, is this is not natural, it is supernatural. But God's written it into our world. Recently, I received a TED Talk from a friend uh, entitled, How Trees Talk to Each Other. And there's a lady named Suzanne Samard who gave this talk. She's uh, been a forester for over 30 years. And in this talk, she joyfully proclaims after much experimentation, trees talk to each other. Everybody starts clapping. Woo! It's exciting to know this. And so what do they say? She said, underneath the ground, within the root system, they communicate about the needs they have. And she says that the trees within the root system sacrifice resources for one another and pass on wisdom before they die. See, even in a fallen world, we can see that deep within the roots of even trees, there's a self-sacrificial nature to their relationship with one another. Self-sacrifice is written into what healthy relationships look like. And so just some takeaways, okay? And so you say, well, how does that apply to my loneliness? What's my takeaway? What, what does that look like? 
here are three things. The first one is this. When it comes to relationships, find common ground. Find common ground. See, what is friendship born out of? Common ground. C.S. Lewis in the book Four Loves says this, friendship arises out of mere companionship when two or more of the companions discover that they have in common some insight or interest or even taste which the other, others do not which others do not share and which till that moment each believed to be his own unique treasure or burden, the typical expression of opening friendship would be something like, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. Isn't that how friendships are built? Through this commonality, through finding something similar? See, for me personally, my best friend in the world is my wife, Laura. And the thing about our friendship is that we have this common ground that will never change. See, when we started dating at the very early stages, one of the things we talked about was this. I said, I want you to love Jesus more than you love me. And here's the thing. There, there are marriages over the years that people say we just drifted apart because marriage is supposed to be a friendship. We drifted apart. We didn't have common ground anymore. But here's the thing I know about my relationship with my wife is that for the rest of our lives, we have this common ground, the greatest common ground of Jesus Christ. It's a foundation. And so friendships, deep friendships, deep spiritual friendships are gonna be rooted in a common ground of Christ. The second takeaway is this. Ask God for a spiritual friend. Some of you come in today and you say, well, I'm just seeking. I don't really know God much. But ask God for a friend that can help you on that journey. Because I'm sure that there are people in here that, as you look around, might have been in the same spot that you are. They were searching. They were looking. They were like, I don't know about this Jesus thing. But all of it was meant to be in the context of community. See, at the end of the day, we really do need God to provide this in our lives. Elizabeth Elliot once said this. She said, loneliness is one of God's pulleys. It is a call to prayer. This condition of my earthly existence from which I cannot extricate myself is the very ground of my prayer because I am lonely and afflicted. I have reason to hope for divine help. God is in the business of coming to the aid of those who know their need and ask him to meet it. Could you believe that God is out there and that he cares about your loneliness? That he cares that that you need a a friendship and, and he's wanting you to come to him and to seek him out and say, God, help me to find a friend. I remember in high school, one of the guys that I could not stand it's a guy named Mike. He stole my basketball cards in middle school and it was just like, it, I could not get over it. He stole them. And years later in high school, we became friends. Really good friends. Spiritual friends. He received Christ. I, I remember it, it was 
He would, he, he, like, we were friends, and then I became a Christian, and then he started making fun of me for becoming a Christian. And then he became a Christian. <laughs> and he told me one day when we were riding in the car, he said, you know, Randall, he said, I, I was super depressed one day, and we were, I remember, I, I, he's like this before I was a Christian, he said, I remember crying to God and just saying, God, just send me a friend. Just send me a friend. And God heard his prayer. See, th- this is true. It, and here's the thing. I'm gonna be honest. If you never find a friend here at Grace City, you probably won't last here. Like one person to come with you, to be with you, that you can see on a weekly basis. You probably won't last because it's not gonna be my preaching that's gonna keep you here. It's not gonna be the music. It's not even gonna be the greeting team. We all need a friend. I mean, think about the most life-changing things in your life. Like, why was it so life-changing? It was because you had a friend that was there. Friendship changes lives. See, why is this so hard? Because we want to protect our schedule. We don't want to put ourselves out there. But what do you see in the early church? They let go of their schedule. I trusted God with everything. I say, God, please provide. See, I've carved out time within my schedule to, to, to meet. Here's the thing. I, I remember going to Starbucks one day and I was just like, wow, looking, looking at the older generation that was there. And they're hanging out on the, the porch talking. And I said, they know something about friendship that we don't, that our generation needs to learn. It's just simply like carving out time and spending time with each other. Right? And so I was just like, man, I, I'm going to do that with my relationships this year. I'm just going to be like every Friday for breakfast, I'm going to meet up with one of my friends. And that's kind of what you have to do in this fast-paced world. But I'm telling you, it's worth it. And, and at the risk of sounding cliche, can I just give you a practical step? Join a city group. Go to GC men, GC women. Because here's the thing. I know at the other end, there are people that are putting themselves out there so that you can find a real friendship and a real relationship. There are people that are opening their homes and saying, I I, I will put myself out there so that, because I really want to see people connect around Christ. And so I ask you to, to consider asking God for a spiritual friend. And lastly, it's, it's lay down self and pick up the cross. Uh, Brett McCracken wrote this book, Uncomfortable. Here's what he says. He says, to be a Christian is to accept the discomfort of a way of life inspired and empowered by a cruel, rugged, old cross. A symbol of scorn and degradation. Everything uncomfortable about Christianity begins with and returns to the cross. Here's, what's hap- here's what happens. As you lay down yourself, you'll find that there are people around you that are doing the same thing. And, and, and what you'll do is you'll start to link arms with one another. And you'll find spiritual friendships that you would have never thought possible. 
Because what it is, it's a beautifully diverse group of people that many times you don't look like, but look like Jesus. That's what happens. And so in conclusion, what is a true friend? Timothy Keller defines it as someone who always lets you in and never lets you down. Someone who, who always lets you in. They're vulnerable, vulnerable with you. If you ask them, hey, what's going on? They tell you and they're honest with you. They share their hearts. But they never let you down. They're always there when you need them. That sounds amazing, doesn't it? But let's be honest. As much as we try, as hard as we try, none of us, not even the best friends, have ever been able to do that. Always lets you in. Never lets you down. So who can be a friend like that. It's the ultimate friend. John 15, 12 through 15 says this, Jesus speaking. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I've made known to you. See, as we look at this friend, Jesus, we start to learn what true friendship is. It's not just words. It's commitment. It's a sacrifice. It's constant. It's personal. You see, Jesus had friends. The God of the universe came down to earth and he, had, he needed friends. And he had them. But his friends would eventually leave him at the cross. They all scattered. They all ran. They didn't live it out. They, they didn't always let him in and never let him down. And so why did Jesus stay? So that you and I could have friendship with God. See, he didn't expect us to be that because he knew we couldn't have. And so he had to be that for us. And as we are united to God and friendship, he teaches us what it really means to have spiritual friendships with one another. Friendship that will change our lives. And, do you and so do you have that today? I would say the starting place is Jesus. Look to him, the greater friend above any friend. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for helping us in our deep need. Many times we do get lonely and we don't know what to do with it. And so, Father, I pray that we start with you. As a church, we start with you. This isn't about us, this is about you. And so, may we build off of that common ground, that foundation. And I just pray over 
Grace City, your church, that there will be great, deep, spiritual friendships that are built here, not because we've got some formula, but because we've got Christ. And that, God, you do that work in our lives, the work that only you can do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.